0: Hi, I'm Shalisha Baxi Ritchie.
1: And I'm her co host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens.
0: Spoiler alert, we are sisters.
1: And best friends.
0: We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved, we had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast.
1: Then during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share and amplify the voices of everyone
0: who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love or where they're from to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Welcome listeners to another episode of I am speaking. Today's episode is with a gentleman named Shane Thrapp. People apparently do not know how to say thrap which is t-h-r-a-p-p
1: immediately the three of us were like oh my god i know how that feels because people have gotten our names wrong and his name is very phonetic so come yes on. I-, I had a hard time going is this in season four or is this an expert voice
0: mm, where yes. do we
1: put this guy
0: i felt that way too and you all will you know hear during the episode the conversation that we had with him was not uh typical of how we talk to a lot of people. Well, it was like this when I was four, and then this thing happened. And then when I was 10, I got diagnosed with depression and then 12. And, you know, we don't hear, it's not a retelling of his story. And he's definitely telling us in parts of his life, oh, well, this happened to me then, or this happened to me then, or this is how I, you know, came to understand or this is what my life was like. But he, he talks a lot more about ADHD and, you know, some of the biological bases of it and, and what we know about it and how, you know, how it's treated and all kinds of things. You're right. It felt much more like an expert voices interview.
1: We kept it in, um, season four in, with Chael Sheen Kosha because he does talk about his own experience with ADHD and, what is going on and how and we're talking about all you know mental health and neurodiversity so that's why we kept it here
0: you will hear there are a couple times when I like I'm almost speechless which Mm -hmm. for those of you who know me (laughs) is not a thing that happens to me very often so um it was it was a it was a great experience talking to Shane I'm really grateful that he you know, agreed to join us. And I hope our listeners appreciate what he's was able to share with us, what he shared with us.
1: Absolutely. Enjoy listening to Shane. He is speaking.
2: Hello, my name is Shane Thrapp and I am speaking.
0: Hi, Shane. Welcome to our podcast.
2: Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's really cool to be here. And I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really digging this. I love three person podcasts because there's always this really cool dynamic and y'all's podcast is so well done on, on Spotify and everything. It's really neat. I'm, I'm, this is going to be a good time. I think.
0: Wow! thank you so much for
1: that. So Shayla, she and I are sisters. hmm <laughs> And we've heard from guests just that our vibe is very inviting because we'll raz each other, we'll laugh and, and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. We've been doing this about a year and a half now, and it's just been, and we get to meet people and talk about their stories and just realizing that the world is so much bigger than our little sliver of it. It's, it's, it's been really fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on.
0: Absolutely so let's jump right in shane tell us tell us a little bit about yourself you know where where are you what do you do what's your sort of social life like
2: uh so i am a father i am a husband my wife is absolutely amazing Uh, she's a special needs teacher my life is fairly normal now to be completely truthful i am an adhd life coach i I uh, moderate one of the largest uh, ADHD support groups on Facebook. I'm a, on the board member of the Inattentive ADHD Coalition, a national nonprofit. And, you know, I just kind of do a lot of work from home. My social world is a lot of uh, discord and uh, being on chat servers and things of that nature just because I have social anxiety. And I have ADHD and I am on the autism spectrum you'll y'all may hear like little clicking noises and i apologize they're they're like magnetic rings that i wear uh, to kind of help me focus and stay in the moment and maybe not ramble (laughs) (laughs) so i you know I, i i i find myself and i feel like i'm a normal person right like i like even though my therapist is always about this and she's like she loves to like razz me on this she's like there is no normal right everybody is weird and different in their own specific way and i'm like well i p- feel like i have a little bit of more weirdness to myself but she's like no you're, you're good you're okay enough so i'm like
1: you're the normal amount of weird there is no right i'm the normal <laughs> yeah
2: i'm the normal amount of weird
1: growing up we had this joke in our family that my dad would always say normal is only normal to normal people And normal is weird to weird people. So whenever someone would be like, well, that's weird. My dad would go normal, weird, weird, normal, weird, weird, or normal, (laughs) normal. There is no normal.
0: Let me start by saying, I really appreciate you sharing that with us off the bat that today's conversation we're going to touch on is going to include your ADHD diagnosis. Um, I think it would be great for for us to talk a little bit about what the differences are. Cause I've heard about inattentive and then the other one is.
2: Hyperactive impulsive. So there's actually three types. There's a hyperactive presentation, there's an presentation, and then there's combined presentation.
0: That makes sense.
2: In the DSM five, there's, uh, 18 criteria. There's nine for hyperactive and there's nine for inattentive. And whenever they test you, they test you to see where you fall on kind of that whole scale Uh, Mm of different things and if you have too many you know if you have too many of one then that's where your presentation is the thing is is it's kind of a spectrum thing it's it's its own spectrum of different issues that you have and they're not very consistent sometimes and when you're a kid you can have a lot of presentations of hyperactivity and then when you get older you start having more inattentive things. And that's because ADHD is made worse and influenced by trauma in our lives. And we develop comorbidities and other things that kind of just change how the ADHD presents. You know, it's 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 interesting like that. And that's one of the reasons why I've been so fascinated outside of the fact that it's my profession. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and that you mentioned social anxiety and autism spectrum. So um I will, I won't out Kocha, but I will say that my younger kid um, is on the autism spectrum. You know, the sort of idea of like, there are all these criteria. And if you meet enough of the criteria, then you get the diagnosis that that means precious little when it comes to understanding how the individual experiences their lives and how they move through the world. And it looks different as they get, you know, as people get older, as they learn skills to, to manage how to move through the world, or they grow out of certain behaviors because it's a very, it's a kind of behavior that an immature brain or, you know, child brain or teen brain would have and not an adult brain. I always find that fascinating when you think about DSM because, you know, I think people treat it, treat it like it's some sort of biological Bible, right? Like the way that you would treat like a medical manual where it's like, oh, if you have X, Y, and Z bacteria in your body, then you have this illness. But people treat DSM like the brain, like that, where it's like, well, if you meet these criteria, then you have X, Y, and Z illness. And my sons, I'd love to tell the story because it, for me, it's always been a huge comfort. All of these ADHD type, you know, autism, um, anxiety disorders, all uh, OCD, they're all made, they're people made up illnesses. So if you move the criteria up or you move the criteria down, more or fewer people get diagnosed on those on those you know for those issues those illnesses if we didn't have any of those criteria nobody would get diagnosed this is what we've decided is normal and then outside normal outside of the normal is what what people decide there's a problem rather than actually being like a biological basis of
2: disease yeah i mean when we look at a lot of issues with ADHD and autism and, and things of those natures, where there's legitimate physiological differences in the brain, right? There, there's b- brain chemistry that's different. There's the like the size difference between different portions of the brain. And then when we look at how the brain communicates from section to section, right? And how the like memory works and how the motivation works and the dopamine uh, moves through the system. When we look at that kind of stuff, Whenever they use the DSM 5, it is just to give them a gauge of how to work within the confines of science, right? The known methodologies, making sure that we are able to give people an accurate diagnosis. And I say diagnosis because it's important to have that, because then we can talk about what medications do we need? What kind of therapies do we need, right? Whenever you talk about autism, we know that early intervention is key, that therapy works a lot better than medications in case unless it's a case of like emotional dysregulation which is very common and then you talk about medications like guanfanacine and other things like that that regulate mood or help regulate mood until they are able to develop the communication and the um the tools to kind of regulate their own mood themselves recognizing the triggers recognizing the when the anger and the frustration and the stress is about to explode out and know to, okay, I need to walk away from the situation. I need to walk away from the stressor. You know, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. And actually it's a big pet peeve with a large number of different doctors, uh, like Dr. William Dodson, like one of the foremost experts on ADHD, the name ADHD, you know, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. We don't have a deficit of, of attention, we we pay too much attention to things. We have four to five to seven to twenty-three things going on in our brain at any given time. Which going back to what I was talking about with these cookie clacks I need these so that I make sure that it, I'm doing something here so that I'm able to be able to focus on what y'all are asking me and not me going off into a whole bunch of wild tangents. Sure, yeah, that makes all sense. When I'm working with my clients and things of that nature, my biggest story for them is to like look you're not broken or anything right there's a lot of things that you deal with and you you they're very frustrating but 90 percent of the problems that you have with adhd and autism are because our society doesn't get and understand neurodivergence they don't understand that some people's brains are different they learn at a different pace right we we, we all understand this like you know whenever you have adhd or autism you are not stupid, you know, you're not you know, mentally challenged or anything like that, you are mentally different. You learn at a different pace. You have to learn in specific ways. You have to have things in place that help you function within our society so that our society isn't made uncomfortable by you. And that's frustrating. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That is
1: something that Sheila Shea and I have talked about on this podcast this season a lot that there are certain types, right, of neurodivergence that we, quote, accept in society, like people who are, are on the autism spectrum, but we see their value because they're brilliant at math. But outside of that, it's like, if I can't understand you and you don't have something to offer me, then that's just too weird. ADHD, OCD she didn't want to out me, but I don't have social anxiety, but I have pretty severe anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder. And there are times where I'm like, Oh my God, I have so much anxiety. And the question is always first, why? And half the time I'm like, I don't know. And the second one is I hear this a lot. And my friend Greg and I talk about this and we joke about this all the time. Have you tried not to worry? Right? Like people with depression, have you tried not being sad? (laughs) I don't think you like. I'm not laughing at you. I'm so sorry. No, I know. I know why you're laughing, because it sounds ludicrous to us. But to someone who doesn't understand it, you know, when I'm sad, I just turn that frown upside down.
2: Yes, you you can turn your frown upside down because you've learned because you have a neurotypical brain how to mask better to fit into the status quo of a neurotypical based world. How, how, much of a nerd can I get into on this podcast? Nerd out. Nerd it up. (laughs) All right. So, so when we look at a neurotypical brain, right? The, like the 99.9% of the people who live out there, actually it's, it's a lot less than that, but you know, whatever. When we look at the neurotypical brain, there's a certain, this is the, everything functions the way that people feel like it's supposed to function. Right? When we look at a person who has ADHD or autism, we see a, a few differences in the brain right? The prefrontal cortex is different. The amygdala is different. The hypothalamus, the memory region is different. The limbic system is different, which is the emotional regulation section. When we are looking at those brains, they're different and they communicate differently. Um, With ADHD, you have a different level of dopamine. Either your brain is absorbing it too quickly, it's not producing enough of it, or it's just not hitting where the neurotransmitters connect it's not being absorbed into that that connection very well. It's not very efficient. Mm-hmm. And so what this means for us is that we function at a different way, right? We don't have the metacognition that people with neurotypical brains have, right? The who, what, when, where, why, how of us. We don't have that. We have to do things in a much different way. And for ADHD and for a large number of people who are on our spectrum. All of our self-awareness comes from the people around us, how people react to us, how people communicate with us, how people teach us, how people make fun of us, criticize us, abuse us. All of that comes in and that is how we develop our sense of self. What people don't realize though is we also, because of how our brain works, we take in the negativity and We gain trauma at a higher rate because our limbic system, the emotional regulation sense system doesn't function the same way, and so when we are dealing with a lot of criticism over and over and over again, we we tend to have these behaviors as children. The behaviors don't have a good amount of communication because we don't know how to communicate yet. We want this thing, we need this thing, we're hungry, we're sleepy, we're tired, we're whatever it is, we want these things that happen. We cannot communicate it because our limbic system has overloaded our emotions to sit here and make us too frustrated. We haven't learned how to process the frustration, we haven't learned how to process the stress, the anger, and you know, all of those things and we flip the fuck out.
1: That's the scientific term.
2: Right. Yeah, that's the scientific, <laughs> that's the scientific term. Now, parents are not taught this, at, at, especially if you're over the age of 40 like me, when a child does that, they are intentionally being a little asshole. Right? That's, that's what a lot of us have been taught all of our lives. When you're having a bad behavior, you're, you're intentionally being disobedient. Well, kids don't understand that. We're not doing it on purpose. There's a thing that we want. And you're not listening to us when we're trying to explain to you the thing we want. That's why early intervention is so key. We The parents have to learn how to communicate with the child in the way that the child is communicating. And the child has to learn shortcuts to be able to communicate with the parents. So like picture uh, graphs where they can sit here and point at something instead of having to say the words, right. Like a parent knowing that if their child is in an emotional state, they will not be able to function until they calm down. And so doing the things that they need, you know, de-escalating the situation, giving them their space, because if you have autism, you don't want people touching you, you have to learn these things about your child.
0: Let me interrupt and say, well, if you know one person with autism, you just know one person with autism, mm-hmm. because it is true that statistically, most people on the spectrum do not want to be touched. And I, I have the most cuddly child in the entire world. He loves to be touched. I mean, that was one of the reasons why it was so hard for us not to accept the diagnosis, but where it didn't, there was dissonance because you keep hearing, oh, people on the spectrum don't like to be touched. And that kid wanted to be held all the time. Just pointing to your larger point you're making, which is um, people's brains work differently. And you know, while it's the overall trend might be this, everyone's different. And so things always look different and parents need to learn and other adults need to learn what this kid needs, not what, not what the, you know, not what the average kid on the spectrum needs.
2: Right. And that, and that goes back to the early intervention. And that's, that's why early intervention really isn't so much the therapist trying to teach the child things so much as teaching the parents how to, recognize signals and recognize behaviors and recognize the attempts to make some sort of communication and then giving the parents the ability to learn the language. One of the things that we that we've seen with autism in a lot of studies are parents who in the past because they didn't know any better physically um, spanked or, or caused pain to the child for behaviors those children tend to not want to be touched right they tend to have a very severe reaction to being touched because anytime somebody's really touched them it's been in pain right that's what they remember because our memories work on 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 specific triggers and our memories pull from the past when something has happened so when you yell at a child they start hitting they they hit the defensive mode And if there's been an instance in the past where you yell at the child and then you hit them they they retreat and if you go to touch them you're activating that memory and our memories are stuck on strong emotional connection because for us time isn't linear right remember when i said the how what when where and why and how or what yeah anyways y'all remember that stuff memories (laughs) Right. <laughs> so for neurotypical people, it's a straight line. It's point A, point B, point C. You know, for people with ADHD and autism, it's all timey-wimey stuff. It's all wiggly. So what people sit here and say, okay, well, I haven't spanked my child in three years or anything like that. That doesn't matter to us. What matters to us is the trigger that we deal with, the sound of your voice yelling at us, and then the reach for is a trigger to when you have done that in the past. And I don't mean y'all. People, yeah. Right. When that has happened in the past, I need, to, I need to defend myself. So now we see lashing out behaviors. We see attacking behaviors and things of that nature. And here's the thing, like what people don't really get is as a parent, it's really hard if you don't understand what your child is going through, to not fall back on those old habits that you learned as as a child, as what your parents did to you, right? I'm 40 years old. I was raised in an alcoholic abusive home by a father who did not understand me and refused to even try to understand me and essentially tried to beat the normal into me, right? My mom took me to church and it was a fundamentally religious church like I grew up in the country, right in Texas. So like, I would like the nearest Walmart to me was like 75 miles.
1: But there were about 75 churches in between right. the Walmart and you.
2: <laughs> and so, so like, I, you know, I, like my, I got my first exorcism when I was 11 years old, because they were like, obviously he's got a demon in him because I was a super hyperactive child. And I was like a super, always asking questions and why is God such an asshole? That came out of my mouth at age 11. That's why I got the exorcism for that matter.
0: I don't know. More and more, that's a really good question. So,
2: Well, in my defense, and I'm going to say this, I, I'll tell this story real quick. I was in the church. My grandma was sitting next to me. And the preacher was, that, it was Southern Pentecostal, so uh, like hellfire brimstone screaming into a microphone with four speakers and a 3,000-square-foot church. And he's talking about like Noah's Ark, right? But he doesn't tell the peaceful story about Noah's Ark. He goes into very specifics on how the people were screaming outside of the ark because they were—they knew they were about to die—and like he started going into kind of fairly good details. Do not become like the ones who were outside of the ark and who were drowned and like who had to watch their children drown. And of course, my fucking ass was like, <laughs> "Bram, why is God such an asshole?" I said it at the exact point where he had paused. You <laughs> get the, like hallelujah and amen stuff to come out and i said it at that exact point and of course i'm not subtle as a child no no children are subtle so he heard me and so did every fucking buddy else around me and so like literally the organ goes and oh man so like he like comes down to the uh me, to me like grabs me by the arm and was like starts calling all the church elders to me which is like 12 old white dudes and like they drag me up to the middle of the church, grab the holy water, grab the holy oil, and they just start spraying me down with all this stuff, speaking in tongues and screaming at me for a complete hour, trying to cast a demon out of me.
1: Just cementing your opinion that God is an asshole for an hour. Like this is not making me change my mind.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like okay, no, actually, what it did is is it taught me I need to make sure I mask, right? I need to make sure I mask because my dad. Abused me, right? Like, I, okay, but I lived in a country where, or the part of the country where that was normal, right? It was normal for dads to be alcoholics and abusers. That's why when I was growing up, I never thought I was in a weird place. I just thought I was weird. But when my dad found out about that, he wanted to beat the living hell out of the preacher. That's the weirdest dichotomy of my life. Is like my dad was also my biggest defender to anybody else. Only
0: I am allowed to beat my child. No one else <laughs> may to put their hands on my child. So I think this, this is a really interesting moment for us to go back and loop around to the beginning. Cause we started going, you know, we started moving down one set of conversations and now we're talking about your childhood.
2: Yay, tangents. <laughs> How long do you want this podcast to be? Cause I can do it for hours.
0: <laughs> you grew up in Texas and your dad um, was a, an alcoholic and uh, physically assaulting his children.
2: Child. I was the only child. Child,
0: Okay. Only child. There we go. Physical. Oh, that's probably even harder. You don't even have any comparison to be like, oh, they're all kind of like this, right? They're all weird or they're all different. Um, and there's a lot of tension. What about your mom? What was the relationship like between your parents?
2: My mom really tried her best, right? She did not get me right. She had me tested for ADHD at the time, but at the time, whenever I was like eight or nine or something like that, like the testing for ADHD was like, give the child a Ritalin pill. If they get super hyperactive, they you know they don't have ADHD. If they get super mellow and normal, they have ADHD. And then like, all they do is like feed the child Ritalin pills until they're z- zombiefied m- mutants. Yeah, I got super hyperactive. Like <laughs> I was like meow. I was all over the place. <laughs> and so here's the thing about ADHD. Negative emotions, anger, frustration, stress, right? We deal with those, but the other end of the spectrum is there too. Curiosity, creativity, happiness, you know, joy and all of these things make us like, that's the thing that people don't get. When we get super excited about things, we get really fucking excited about it. If we're really curious about things, we're going to ask you 14,000 questions until you give us that why we're looking for. Remember the, the who, what, when, where, why of things, right? We want to know how to do the thing, right? And if, and if we can't figure out how to do the thing immediately, well, obviously it's not worth our goddamn time. We, you know, we're bored <laughs> impulsivity time, Let, let's, you know, <laughs> let's move on. And so my mom was like, she really tried her best, but you're in a situation where you have an, a, an alcoholic abusive husband that you're trying to also walk that fine line of not setting him off. Obviously, you know, looking back at it now, my dad also has a lot of, you know, had a lot of ADHD presentations, and he's not able to give me any kind of structure, right? There's no consistency to it either, and I'm also autistic, so I crave structure, I crave routine, I crave doing things in a certain way, I crave having everything in its place, please don't move my shit, and like, because like... I want to be able to find it. And if it's gone off where I put it, it is obviously the end of the world. Yes. Uh, and my dad would take my stuff out of my room or he would wake me up before 30 in the morning for whatever the fuck he wanted me to do. And if I didn't wake up, an electrical cord would come at me. And and my mom didn't know, like, she couldn't stand up to him because if he, she stood up to him, then he he, I never saw my dad physically hit my mom, but he would, completely eviscerate her mentally and emotionally. She would say here I'm going to leave you. If you leave me, I'll kill myself.
0: That is a very standard tactic of an abusive partner.
2: So she tried her best but she, again, she didn't get me. She didn't understand me. But she was smart enough to understand that every now and then when my dad was in his normal phase when he was not drunk, like she would make sure that he didn't get drunk because when my dad wasn't drunk, he was amazing. Right, he was still a little short-tempered still a little shitty and stuff like that he was still an asshole but he he
1: in comparison
2: right in comparison he wasn't this raging uh, uh hideous monster he was just like this superstar i have so many of these memories where my dad did these superhero things that is also shadowed by my dad also doing horrifyingly evil things to me it's it's really difficult and my mom did her best my dad had these really high expectations of me as well right he wanted me to make straight straight a's like that was his goal for me because he failed eighth grade and dropped out at eighth grade Uh huh. and so i like, i would go to school and my mom would you know my mom was really good like you know, when i'd come home do you have homework yes i do because she knew i would forget about it i had video games so i was like Haha, mortal kombat here i cap. mom I have homework. Shit. Okay. Um, and so, <laughs> fine. And she was, and she had the, the threat of my father to be able to back that up. While punishment, like pain punishment for kids with ADHD, autism on the spectrum, that, that kind of stuff, doesn't work with us the same way. Eventually it does work. You just add trauma to it. We've developed mental you know, disorders because of that. What My mom started learning was she could use the threat of my dad to get me to stay in line whenever i was in a good frame of mind and then she started understanding that when she really encouraged my creativity Mm. i i started calming down and i would be okay when she would you know allow me the time to read my books which that was my thing reading my books When she would give me that space to do that, I would calm down and be easier to manage. She started recognizing that the subjects that I was really good at, that she could influence me by saying, okay, let's work on the hard stuff together. Math for me, I was horrible at math. And then, you know, you, you can work on the stuff you enjoy after, after that. And so she knew there was something different about me. And so she would work with me in that way. But as I got older. My teachers, however, didn't get it. I would, let me give y'all a little scope of how good I was at reading. In my sixth grade class year, they, um, they, they started accelerated reading program where you read a book, take a test, get points for it. And at the end of six weeks, you get to spend those points on things. By the time I was in eighth grade, I'd read my entire middle school library. Wow. I had completely ran out of books, and they were having to ship in books from the, uh, from the local town nearby to, to give me things to read. When it came to time for people to sit here and talk about how many points they ha- that, they, that they had at in in the month, everybody else is sitting here proud of their two and 300 points that they had at in in the month. I'm sitting here happy with my 2000 points I had at the end of the month. I was just really good at that, and my mom got that, and, but the teachers didn't, and so they stuck to the textbooks and they didn't deviate from those. And if it was a subject that I was super not really interested in, I just read the entire textbook and then went to sleep in their class. Mm. What's if you're a teacher, that's really annoying.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think we're, we saw a lot of that uh, during the pandemic, which is it's very hard to teach to kids who are not face-to-face with you, whether they're asleep or whether they're behind a screen, teaching is a very dynamic profession. So I can, I'm not excusing anything, but I can also see how it's like, this is a real bummer over
2: here. Uh, Right.
1: But I also think we are better now. Back when I was in school, there was a girl who would fall asleep and our teacher, she took a textbook and she slammed it on the desk or, you know, do things like that. And now we're learning like, oh, She probably had siblings to take care of, or, uh, didn't have a mom at home. You don't know why that kid is falling asleep, but 30 years ago, we were not that good at being that aware of that stuff. Yeah.
2: Right. And it didn't help the fact that I had an eidetic memory. And so they would see here and they would stick to the books, right? They would stick to the textbooks and. I had already read them within six weeks of the class. And then they would sit here and go, okay, here's a pop quiz, everybody. You know, thank Shane for y'all having a pop quiz. And I get the pop quiz. I sit here and look at the answers. I'm done here, turned it in five minutes later. And like the, the teacher's like, are you sure you're done? I'm like, yes, I'm done. And like 97, 100, 95, and, and the teachers like, didn't get it. Like, they didn't understand that I had read the book. Even when I told them, I, you know, they're like, Shane, how do you do this? I said, I've read the book. And they're like, no, you haven't. I said, yes, actually, I have. Give me a page number and, let me, you know, and, and ask me a question from the page and I'll answer it, whatever you want. And so like, they didn't get it. I have one teacher that I know of who ever really understood it. And his name was Mr. German. He's my favorite teacher ever. He was like my social studies teacher in, in sixth grade. And he was absolutely amazing. He was this dynamic black guy who was had marched with Martin Luther King. And he just gets super passionate about the subject. And he would go off the social studies book and that and, and we had required reading that he would uh, tell us to read. He made me want to be good. And none of my other teachers understood that. None of the other teachers got it. My mom got it, though. So when the teacher was, would call my mom into play, and my mom would sit here and go, "Okay, are you challenging him?" And the teacher's like, "Well, you know, we're, you, we're testing him and stuff like that all the time. Well, how is he doing on the testing?" And i are like, "Oh, he's making straight A's. Okay, why are why why are you calling me? My son is making straight A's. Why are you calling me? Well, he sleeps during class. Okay, are you entertaining him? right. right? Are you making it interesting?" And they're like, well, we're trying to, but he's asleep. It's like, uh, and, and and then of course my autistic ass, it's like, ha ha, you're boring.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Kosh and I had this exact experience, but we had similar experiences. Everyone in the same classroom, right? So you've got people on on one end who are, for any number of reasons have, le- you know, maybe they have learning disabilities or whatever it is, right, we can, we're so much more compassionate generally. now than we used to be which is like why can't this person figure out how to do basic arithmetic why can't they read at a fourth grade level and they're still reading in a first grade level like all of this stuff where at the time it was like well you're just stupid Mm -hmm. all the way from that to people you know and our dad our parents our dad especially pushed us to do a lot of learning early everyone was in the same classroom and there was no differentiation. So there was no way of people like you or us who had advanced, who could do more, who were really bored with what was happening in class to do more than what was the sort of the standard curriculum. If the teachers had actually tried to give you something that was more challenging and interesting, you would have done that and your attention would have been, you know, hooked on that thing. They didn't do that. But then it's also so hard for people at the other end who it's like, we don't have time for you to learn. Just keep moving it along
2: right and so here's the thing y'all remember earlier i said math was my bane right i was good until geometry once i got into like geometry where like letters started getting into play I, my my grades tanked right i was making d's and c's and 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 of course my dad was like beating the grades into me and so i was like i was doing whatever it took i would cheat i would i, I would like break into these, uh, the classroom and like, get the test answers. And like, I would do whatever it took to try to get a better grade because if I didn't, I got abused. So now all my teachers are like, well, you're so good at these things. Why can't you do this? I don't fucking know. When I look at advanced math, it looks like Greek lettering to me. In fact, some of it is Greek lettering. But-
0: <laughs> That's a very weird thing to ask. Well, you're so good at this thing. Why can't you be good at this thing? And people don't ask that when it comes to artistic pursuits, right? Well, you're so good at reading. Why aren't you good at, uh, aren't you, why aren't you good at a sculptor? Nobody expects you to be a good sculptor if you're, not, if you're good at reading. Why should we expect, say, well, you, you can read well, and you, you know a lot about geography, so you should be good at math? Like, the therefore doesn't make any sense there. I, I was, well, not as good as Kosha, but reasonably good at math and was an awful visual artist man i could not i think Kosh and i are both the same what do you mean was an awful visual artist (laughs) present tense (laughs) i i actually would not even describe myself as a visual artist (laughs) and i don't like because in whatever weird school you had to do art class
2: and that was that was the once i got into eighth grade and we started doing that stuff that's like when i super checked out of school Mm. like i just stopped because the teachers are coming to me and either i'm doing too good at these things i'm good at that it you know that is completely invalidated by the fact that i'm not good at math and this happens to everybody like whenever we look at children who have dyslexia and have a hard time reading, but they're amazing when it comes to math and other uh, other subjects that doesn't involve reading so much. Like it completely invalidates the skills and the positive things that they have because they they can't do this, and whether it's the teachers, you know, uh, being you know, really you know, shitty towards them or if it's the other students or if it's the parents or whatever it is, you know, that's really difficult. And this isn't a, just a whole ADHD autism side of things. You have a higher rate of people who have some sort of learning disability when you do have ADHD and autism, but, you know, neurotypical kids have have these things as well. But it makes people check out. Now, here's the problem. When I was talking about earlier, like, we develop all of our self about us from the people around us, if you're constantly giving us a whole lot of negative criticisms and neurodivergent kids by the age of 12 receive 20,000 more negative criticisms, than the typical child, we develop this horrible imposter syndrome. And we develop a thing called rejection sensitivity dysphoria where anytime you criticize us at all, we react to the criticism. And in a lot of cases, when it comes to rejection sensitivity, that reaction to the criticism is completely inordinately out of proportion to what actually just happened. Because we're not reacting to what you just said to us. We're reacting to the tone and the verbal cues that you just said to us that reminded us of an English teacher when we were 12 who sat here and said the exact same thing to us, but in a much more crappy way that caused us to get in trouble with our parents, who then, if we were, had trauma in our lives, then had to deal with abuse or something along those lines. Right. So we lash out. I love using this and I'm not excusing the behavior. Please understand this. I'm not excusing the behavior when I say this. We see this online happen a lot because we see a guy and a girl post a picture, a screenshot of the conversation that she's had with a guy who messaged her and they had a fairly decent conversation. The girl then sat here and said, you're not really my type. Right. And as women, I'm assuming you may have already dealt with this before, where then the guy just completely goes nuts. He completely loses his mind. He sits here and says some horrifyingly uh, bad things. That is a perfect example of rejection sensitivity. They're not responding to you, they're responding to the girl who rejected them in school, who embarrassed them in front of everybody. Because what you said, I just want to be friends, or this isn't really going to work out for me. Now, again, no excusing the behavior. We are responsible for our actions. However, that is a good example of when you see rejection sensitivity in the real world. When you see a person who has like inattentive ADHD and somebody jumps at them and they shy away and they freak out, that's another uh, rejection sensitivity. It's It's the, I'm being attacked. That's really harmful for them because, again, our brains don't go linear. They're all over the place. And so when we get triggered by something, it's from our past. And, if, and so many of us have so much trauma in our lives that it, that emotional thing is what we get. And
0: I, I want to be clear here, our listeners, I, I hope you will all see yourselves in some way in what Shane is saying, we have all, I think, whether or not we have been diagnosed with a you know, a condition that could be qualified as a neurodiverse or a neurodivergent, we've all had the experience of somebody saying something, doing something, looking at us a certain way that we're no longer in the present, but we are experiencing a past shitty experience that has nothing to do with what's happening in front of us, right? right? I get your point, Shane, which is that for people who have certain types of neurodiversity, that happens so much more often beca- because they don't present in a sort of typical slash normal way.
1: It becomes compounded over, like, by the age of 12.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And every, a lot of people deal with uh, rejection sensitivity. It's actually And it's definitely not, like, just um, relegated to ADHD or autism or anything like that. It's a trauma response, but for people with ADHD, because of how our brains work and everything, it happens to us more also because we are like 35 to 40% more likely to experience trauma. We're four, to- four times more likely to develop PTSD. We're four, times more li- four to six times more likely to develop de- depression, anxieties. We get all those criticisms before we a- turn to age 12, but then what happens at age 12? Now we hit puberty Mm. and we're having all these hormones go nuts and everybody around us hormones are going nuts. And that's when (laughs) kids get really start getting really shitty towards each other. And you know, the, 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 the guys are asking the girls out. The girls are asking the guys out. The girls are asking the girls out. Guys are asking guys out all of that starts happening. And there's so much confusion in our lives and people with ADHD need structure. We need organization. We need these things in our lives. And we're not getting it from the teachers. Very few of us are getting it from our parents. We're put into this horrifying situation, and so a lot of us, our teen years turns into just trauma central, and we develop eating disorders. We develop anxiety disorders. We develop different image issues, and you know other types of dysphorias. And God help us if we're you know transgender and we're del- now we're dealing with gender dysphoria and on top of all these different issues that we're we're going through and so by the time we get out of that then we're put into the real world and while we have the structure of school right we get up in the morning we go to school we go first class second class third class fourth class right there's lunch somewhere in there hopefully there's a break somewhere in there yay you know but then we're put into the real world and now we're in charge of our own selves and yeah. some of us are go to college and, uh, you know, and that's a whole nother animal all, all along its own. Right. You know, again, if you don't know you have ADHD, if you don't know you're on the spectrum, you just think you're this complete fuck up because of what's happened in the last 18 years of your life. You just start floundering. You develop addictions. You sit here and throw yourself into horrible relationship after horrible relationship. And you're going from job to job to job because you don't really know what you like to do.
1: And also you had mentioned like impulse control and impulse Mm -hmm. triggers for like, if you're bored for a second, you're like, oh, something shiny. And so I can imagine that in college, you're like, now I don't even have somebody to keep me on task. Do I even have to go to this class that makes me bored out of my mind? No.
2: nope.
0: Koshy, I was going to say that is exactly what I was thinking, which is for the longest time, parents didn't understand What they needed to do to help the kids that demonstrated some of these characteristics, some of these qualities, much less understand it. Your mom, as you were saying, your mom sat down and been like, okay, let's do the hard stuff first and then this and that. And that's great. What needs to transition there is, okay, now let's figure out how you can do this for yourself. Because whatever, I can go to college with you, right? Like, just be silly. Like, I can go to college with you and I can. I can call you every day at your job or whatever, but one day I will not be here. Right. <laughs> You've got to figure it out for yourself. On one hand, I think parents who pay attention in any way, shape or form can generally figure out like the broad strokes of what their kids might need as children. Mm-hmm. But I think what happens is then, then they get to, like you were saying, they get to adolescence, they go to good college. And then there's this bit of this like, well, now you should know what to do, mm-hmm. but no one has ever actually helped you learn the skills for what what your mom was doing for you okay now let's transition from mom helping you to you doing it yourself
2: we talked about this we touched on this a little bit earlier like when we go to school the school is like okay all of you 30 kids in this classroom are supposed to adhere to this status quo that we expect you to do right you're supposed to you know a you're supposed to get up at god awful crack of the morning to get to school ignoring the fact that 75 to 80 percent of kids with adhd are on the autism spectrum have a different circadian rhythm so we naturally go to sleep an hour and a half uh, later and we wake up an hour and a half uh, or you know or yeah y'all know what i mean right it's like shifted right like ignores that fact so when we get to first class we're exhausted because we didn't go to sleep until 1 in the morning
0: once again not my kid my kid
2: gets <laughs> up
0: at six o'clock and goes to bed at 10 every single day
2: my kids do the same thing like they wake up at, like they go to sleep at 9 uh, p.m. they get up at like 7 a.m. 8 a.m. like we we lay in bed and we like like play and cuddle for an hour you know whenever we sit here and we look at the the way our education system is w- working towards now is While we are starting to understand neurodivergence, not all the teachers have the resources to be able to allow themselves to be able to help the kids who do need extra help. When we look at the way that the funding is done, right? Ever since uh, George W. Bush and and Obama um, were in office, and I'm not trying to throw politics in here, but it's just kind of a socioeconomic situation here, they put most of the funding towards schools to be developed for passing tests schools have to pass tests to to get funding now when a school has to depend on federal funding to be able to function they just focus on testing that means arts go out the window sometimes sports go out the window different sports go out the window i'll I'll, I'll caveat that one real quick because i'll get into the rest of it so now we see different things happen we see rural schools suffering and we see urban schools suffering but we don't see the suburbia and the, the affluent, affluent like middle yeah, america stuff right? right we don't see them suffering because the tax rates in those areas are able to give the um, schools extra money towards having all of these different resources in the public school system is, is what i'm referring to the thing is is taxes in urban uh, uh developed areas and rural areas have to remain low because the cost of living is low and the people who work there don't make as much money and so the schools have to depend on federal funds. Federal funds are required, uh, are required that you have a certain level of testing. So in order for them to pass those tests, all the students must adhere to whatever it takes to pass that test. And if they don't do that, then they lose money. So the first things to go are art programs. The second thing to go are any sports that don't make us money. Yeah. So Texas, what, what is everybody's favorite sport in Texas?
0: Football. Keep the football. You absolutely keep the football, but you know what you do is you get rid of all women's sports. Yeah, you get rid of all girls' sports and volleyball. I bet there's still some good soccer happening in Texas because that seems to be picking up.
2: The thing in in the urban development, we see basketball and a lot of the other sports being ignored. Now we have kids who are struggling, but we also are having parents who are struggling. Because these parents in the rural environments and the urban environments are having to work two to three jobs just to function. God help them if they're single parents, because even then they're super screwed. So they're not able to even be as involved in their kids' lives as they need to be. Yeah. They're also, they don't have time to listen to a teacher who's trying to tell them what, what their kids are going through. Right. They don't have uh, health care where they can get early intervention for their kids who do have some sort of issue. Yeah. They're yeah. not learning how to parent those kids. So those parents are struggling and frustrated and working two to three jobs and dealing with all these different issues.
0: It's tough, man. I mean, right. And
2: it's super tough.
0: I could speak from my own experience, right? I, I live in a, in a pretty affluent suburb. I work part time. I I'm a consultant and I work from home. I have a very flexible schedule and there are days when I'm literally like, I've had it up to here, right? That's just a normal part of parenting. No matter who you're dealing with, the combination of whatever you're going through and then whatever your kid's going through. And they everyone can be literally the most normal person there is. And some days you're like, oh my God, I'm going to sell you to the circus for a nickel. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're going to Barnum and Bailey today.
0: Right, right, right. And that's just normal parenting. And then you throw on all of these economic, social-
2: Behavioral disorders.
0: Behavioral, parents themselves might be having some of these challenges. So they themselves aren't able to really understand what's going on or to operationalize what they're being told, you know, all of this stuff. It's like, it just becomes more and more complicated and it's hard enough in the best of situations.
2: And then, then we look at what happens to these people who are, and I'll, 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 use both rural and urban environments. Again, in the, in the rural environments, what do we see? We see a lot of people wind up in dealing with addiction, alcoholism, meth methamphetamines, you know, uh, marijuana, obviously. And then they wind up into the jail system. They have a lot of times, sometimes the privilege of being white. So they don't have to deal with that part of it, but they're still struggling. Their parents are still not able to be in their lives. Their parents may be very abusive and things of that nature. But then we look at the urban environments where a lot of the same things are happening. However, here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand about ADHD. Whenever we look at ADHD and we look at how the mindset happens for kids, whenever they start getting to a certain point, they, they need people who will give them the happy juices, right? So this leads into kids being in gangs. And when we have kids going into gangs because they don't have any structure at home, now they have a structure. They have a structure that is a tribal structure. They also have access to medications and and drugs that make them feel good. And so they develop these very strong emotional ties to these people who, even if they're being abusive, are giving them the things that make them happy. Now that person who has the power over them says, okay, you're my soldier. I'm going to tell you to go do this thing and you're going to do it. And they're happy to go do it because I'm going to get happy juice from this. Right. I'm going to get the adrenaline rush from doing this thing. Right. I'm getting the validation. I'm getting access to these things. Right. And that's when we see everything go downhill because then they get put into the system. They get arrested. They get they get killed. We see this huge issue with the prevalence of. Uh, people who are, have ADHD or an on the autism spectrum or have oppositional defiance disorder or other behavioral disorders because of the, the environment that they were in now being put into a system that does not in any shape, form, or fashion understand neurodivergence nor does it give a zero fucks about it. And right. so whenever those people are in uh, uh, prison, they are now in another tribal situation and they are now in another system where they have to thrive. And here's the thing about people with ADHD. We absolutely thrive in chaos. Where do we see a a a lot of really successful people with ADHD? In the police force, in the military, EMS, high-functioning CEOs, um, high-intensity skydivers, like people who are adrenaline junkies, so extreme sports, gangs. We see them thriving in those environments because that's how our brains naturally operate. We deal with so many things that keep our amygdala activated on such a constant basis so that when adrenaline hits our systems, we don't freeze, we react. We immediately jump into the thing that we need to do in that situation. For men, it's fight or it's fix right so a lot of people talk about the the amygdala and how it reacts so there's fight fright flight fawn and fix men are fight and fix we are going to fix the situation or we're going to fight the situation so when we see those things we we see ems people jumping out of the uh the trucks and the vans and all that stuff and immediately going into like diagnostic mode because they have this structure and order of how they're supposed to do things and their brain The adrenaline dump isn't causing them to freeze up. We see military people who are high functioning autism or ADHD with the same systems and the ability to do the same things. And we see extreme uh, sports who have these um, massively like quick reflexes and ability to do these things. We see people like Simone Biles who is able to do these fantastical athletic uh, things where she is, moving her body in ways that people just don't understand how she's doing that. And that is because that's how our brains work, mm-hmm. right? You put us in those situations, we, we tend to thrive, not all of us, um, this isn't a blanket statement for all people with ADHD or autism or anything like that, but a large number of us function in those, uh, those realms altogether.
0: Can I, can I ask a clarifying question? Mm-hmm. And this is just my, my, me trying to wrap my head around like what you just said that people with ADHD as a whole may do do better in these kinds of high intensity, lots of stimuli, quick thinking, um, quick response type situations because their brains, this is a very simplified way of thinking about it, but like everyone's everyone's brain motor needs a certain amount of fuel to operate Mm -hmm. in an optimal way and that people with ADHD just need more fuel. They need more stuff, they need more stimuli coming in. And so in these kinds of situations where you're like over here, over here, this thing, that thing, right? That's like the optimum amount of stimulation. But then like, if you go to like a sort of a quieter space then you're not getting enough stimulation. So you're like over here, what am I looking for? What am I, cause you're just not getting enough. Does that, does that make sense? Am I capturing that in any sort of Realistic way, or am I off base?
2: No, remember I said this earlier, attention, uh, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity uh, disorder is the wrong name for what we deal with. We have too many things going on that we are paying attention to, like that we have going on in our brains. So when you put us into a high intensity situation where we have a lot of different inputs, right? If we aren't, if we don't deal with like the, the overwhelmed issue. I I don't like using the term multitask, but that's kind of what it is. We see all the inputs and our brains are able to function at a higher uh, rate of speed in that environment because we're not frozen by the chemical reactions that are going on in our brains because they're active all the time. And so when you put us into a quiet space with no input from anybody around us and we don't have our phones or computers or anything like that, we start to go insane because now our brains are activating whatever it wants to in our own brain to entertain us, fear us, or make us feel things. Sure. We wind up having these situations where we have our impulsivity says some weirdly, obscenely, horrible thing, right? I'll give you all a great example, and uh, this is a trigger warning for everybody who is a parent because everybody has this fear, however, If I'm in a quiet space in my bed with my kids not around me, one of the things that my brain likes to do is like, hey, when you go wake up your kids right now, one of them is going to be dead. Mm. ADHD brain works too quickly. It works very quickly. And so we'd go into these death spirals of thoughts. You know, which one of them is it? Is it my son? Is it my daughter? I have twins. What did they die of? You know, suffocation is the SIDS, the first one. Like, you know, what if they ch- choke themselves with a sheet or something along those lines? My brain goes down every fucking sense, uh, situation that could happen in, in in the space of like that. You know, I remember Dr. Strange uh, Doctor Strange in the end of a, uh, Infinity War when he goes down to 14,573,000 different yes. possibilities. That's how our brains work naturally.
1: So now within seconds, you went from, hmm, not having anything to think about to, one of my children is dead and this is how it happened. And you're like already planning for the worst of the worst of the worst.
2: Like, what do you do in that situation? Right? Like what, like, where did it even come from? It came from no input. It came from my brain saying, I'm bored. What's something I can think about?
0: Yeah. 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 That's something. Right.
2: What? <laughs> right. That's definitely you something
0: <laughs> you could think about. That makes sense like up here, but also in my heart. Because you're, you're talking about stuff where I was like, I probably have a, some level of this, right? I, I'm much more on, on this. Like part of the reason I love my job is because I'm like, well, I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. And I never have to do anything twice. Oh, my God, that's hell on earth for me. If I have to do the same thing twice, I might as well die. I might as well die. That is so boring.
2: Yeah. Right. I, and, and that's how our brains work right? But our society doesn't work that way, right? Our society is regimented because we live in a society that's built around a farmer's world, an agricultural basis, an industrial revolution, where there's a schedule that everything has to be adhered to, everybody has to do the things and everything like that. And there's a book called um, uh, Hunters in a Farmer's World by Tom Hartman. It's based on a hypothesis that we have genetic predispositions to ADHD because we are uh, descended from people who are hunter-gatherer societies, um, indigenous tribes, uh, different different people like that, like, you know, maybe even have a higher rate of Neanderthal uh, DNA in our systems. And we are designed to be up late so that we are able to, Keep watch for the tribe. We are designed to hyper focus on a specific instance for however long it takes because we have to hunt and we have to be in the wilds and we have to be able to sit here and see the tracks, track the thing, move through the uh, forest, be able to like monitor all the different signs around us because there's a bear and a tiger and all these different things that we have to watch out for. There's the different things where we, you know, constantly have to be on the move, so we're we're used to being migratory or nomads and things of that nature. There's all these different similarities between people who are, are gathered from hunter-gatherer tribes to what really functions well for people with ADHD, that it's a really strong hypothesis. We're just now starting to see some genetic Evidence that is really, really leaning into this hypothesis, where there may be some significant strides to understand a little bit more about how ADHD works. When we start seeing that, there was a study done, and I want to say it was in Scotland, and they did they did a gene study of something like forty thousand different people, and then they looked at the the prevalence of ADHD and the prevalence of certain genetic markers from nomadic, uh, indigenous, and uh, hunter gatherer tribes. And of the people who had ADHD, something like 80% of them also had higher genetic markers for these tribes. I know I'm probably not saying the exact numbers. The thing is, is when we start seeing those things, we're like, okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. It makes a lot of sense that our brains work the way they do because we are like descended from those kinds of people. Like, why do we bounce from job to job? Because we get bored, right? Why do we bounce from relationship to relationship? because we got bored you know who entertains us the people who challenge us the people who keep pushing us the people who are abusive because that's the challenge and we deserve that because that's what we had when we were a child so obviously we still deserve that kind of behavior
1: and there's adrenaline peaks and valleys there like you're getting that adrenaline dump when you are in an abusive situation in that moment i mean i understand the connections that you're making
2: yeah, and you know and so when people sit here and talk about adhd they sit here and they look at the world and they say oh well you know the cdc only says five percent of the adults in america have adhd and I'm, I'm sitting there looking like y'all are full of shit <laughs> like you know because here like we learn early on to mask things we learn early on that we we have to appear a certain way we learn to develop yeah. certain skill sets and things of that nature and we we learn that we have to fit in in certain ways and it's not until things that are really bad happen to us like um especially if we go from having a job that we fit into really good um and then we start getting put into like desk job positions or we lose the job where we were doing really good in and all that stuff where we start to see the symptoms come back uh with a vengeance and so we see people who are like 35 and 40 whose lives just seem to like crash and burn because they had a job that allowed them to do the thing. They had relationships that allowed them to be a certain way. And then they, now they're out of those things. They got a divorce because the wife left them because they were abusive or whatever happened or they were in an abusive relationship and you know, you know, they, they finally figured it out and got out of it and stuff like that. And then they watched their just lives just like crash and burn. Sure,
0: sure.
2: That happens to a lot of men, right? Because we're not supposed to show our weaknesses, right? We're not supposed to be abused by women only pussies are abused by women right like that's how our that's how our society tells us that we're we're supposed to be right like that's that's the that's the mentality that our society has for men who are abused right like you're not supposed to be abused so we also don't even recognize it because that's how my dad treated my mom obviously this is how i'm supposed to treat my wife right that's how my mom treated my dad so obviously this is how i'm supposed to be treated as well let's flip that around women right women actually have a higher pre- prevalence of the inattentive presentation and that doesn't always look like ADHD when a, a a girl or a young woman go into a psychiatrist's office and they talk about their you know i don't feel, really feel like i have a lot of motivation i don't want to really get out of bed i'm bored with everything i don't want to do anything i'm i'm really you know you know i'm really sad all the time i'm very anxious The doctors, the psychiatrists do the best that they can with the information that they're giving you. And they say, okay, obviously you have depression. You
1: have depression.
2: Or you have anxiety disorder, right? They don't know, right? And the other person doesn't know because they don't know what ADHD even is to sit here and say, well, you know, I think I may have ADHD. And so the doctors give them the medications that may actually work for a few of the symptoms because... That's just how our bodies work. When we are depressed, you know, when you give us the medications for it, then some things will get better, but sometimes they don't. Well, now you're just dealing with a woman who's just whatever. She's just a bitch. She's just da da da. And like, now, like, you have the society around us sitting here telling a woman that she's a problem and that she needs to just shut up and go away, right? She's being this way. She's too loud. She's too expressive. She's too. You know, God help her, she is hyperactive. And now she's a whole nother level of crazy. Right. And like, that's what our society does to women who have mental health as well. Right. They, you know, like, what do they used to call it back in the day? Histrionic disorder. Right. Histrionic. Yes.
0: Yes. But they did also uh, prescribe vibrators to manage that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah um they did do that they also put y'all in mental uh mental wards that yes. where they tried to like hey let's just try this electricity thing and see if it works for you here bite down on this piece of wood you yeah. know
1: the word is hysteria for a reason yes
2: so like our society just doesn't get these things they don't get what it, what it, what this is because they're not the scientists get it they've been studying ADHD for you know forever but that information hasn't been trickling down yeah. to the people who really need to understand it. Only within the last twenty years have scientists really been pushing that information right. down yeah. to our our doctors.
0: For women, this is true with autism spectrum disorder as mm-hmm. well. Less so for depression. Eighty, it's definitely true for ADHD and less so for anxiety. Right. So there, I was just finished reading this book called "I Don't Want to Talk About It," where they the it's a therapist and he. Um, is talking about depression in men, in 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 his male clients, and it it doesn't present as depression. It pre- presents in a whole different way. But part of it is because some of these mental health challenges and neurodiverse, you know, neurodivergence challenges, have already been gendered.
2: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: women have anxiety and they have depression, and and boys and men have autism and ADHD. And so you're not even oh, looking-
2: and bipolar disorder and PTSD. That's ours too. That can't have that. <laughs> he
0: goes we got that one yeah i guess you guys have bipolar no no
2: no y'all have borderline personality disorder yes, we, have we bipolar. Do. you're
1: right you're right fair fair is fair, okay, fine. fair, <laughs>
2: is fair. It's, all fine. it's ours damn it i'm a man <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but because you're not because it's already gendered the perception is already gendered you're not looking for it Right, where where it could actually be, right? So we understand what autism looks like in boys. We don't understand it that well in girls, Mm -hmm. and so many women are being diagnosed much. You know, girls are being diagnosed as women because we never even thought to look there. Same thing with depression in men. Obviously, ADHD. You're talking to me about what it looks like. Inattentive ADHD looks like, and I'm just looking up this. you're talking to me i'm doing the thing that adhd stuff does which is like let me do two things at once and i'm looking at this little chart for the hunters and farmers and i was like literally everything on this chart is me and i'm like oh and no one no one ever thought to look because it was probably manageable enough through any set of circumstances that no one thought to ask or even look to see if that was a thing that was going on with me but i'm like Oh my God, all of these things, being distractible, being hyper-focused, being dis- disorganized, impulsive, short-tempered, impatient. Like I have a hard time taking, if I'm talking then I have a hard time conceptualizing it and vice versa, like all of the, I was like, oh my God, that's so me. Like I'm really, really visual and I have a very hard time on the conceptual level. I'm like, and my memory is crap. And Kosha will absolutely. It's shit. I have to write everything <laughs> down because my mind goes like this, this it's gone,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, before I can even really focus. And it's so fascinating where is like, I have an eidetic memory. Like I almost eidetic memory. Remember I said five years, 10 years ago, we were sitting here and you said this one thing. And I was like, I don't remember what happened five days ago. <laughs> <laughs> the three
1: most important people in my life, Shaloshi, my husband, Brian, and my best friend, Jen, have terrible memories. And so I'm like the one holding all of the memories where, cause I have a near-identic memory. The other day, my, my husband was talking about something and he goes, oh yeah, that, uh, no, it wasn't 1994. That song came out in 1993. And I was like, you need to shut your mouth because you like do not show me that you do have the capability to remember something, but you just don't on certain things.
2: But here's the thing, that's how our brains work. Right? We are interested in the thing that we are interested in, right? And if that was a music at one point, everything about the music of that point is still in our heads. And all we need is a trigger. Somebody asking the question, the song going off in our heads, the sound of it, of, of a cover or somebody sitting here, uh, playing it. And we are like, oh no, no, that was written in 1963 by the Beatles. And I'm pretty sure they went to number three on the charts with that song. You know, because um, you know that that's just how our brains work. When it's the things that we are super interested in, we're fucking rock stars when it comes to that stuff, right? Like one of the things that the people in the men's ADHD support group that I'm in are always impressed with is like how much about ADHD I know, right? They're like, "Are you a doctor?" I'm like, "No." Like, "Are you a psychiatrist?" No. What have you? Why do you know these things? I said, "I've literally been studying it for ten years now." Right? I I have this weird ass memory where I can sit here and like talk about all of these different things. Now, do I remember every single like study that I've read and everything? No, because I've read 180,000 studies or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm constantly learning more and more about it. And, you know, they were like, well, why didn't you want to, you know, well, why didn't you become a psychiatrist or a therapist or anything like that? And I'm like, A, I'm horrible at college and B, I don't want that kind of, I don't want to be a psychiatrist. I don't want to be a therapist, right? I like helping people by helping them, like giving them actionable things that they need to do in their lives. And a therapist doesn't do that. A cognitive behavioral therapist do, that's a big part of what they do. But what I want to do is I want to work with a person and like help them figure themselves out and how ADHD affects them and then give them exercises on how to learn how to break things down in these small chunks of things that they need to do and, like, and have some self-forgiveness for themselves to, to stop thinking that they have to be perfect all the time, to stop thinking that if they don't do it immediately the best that they possibly can at that point, that you know, that means that they just need to quit at it. They don't need to do it, right? It's about learning how to do the tool, like building your toolkit that allows you to function in our society, but at the same time, learning how to accept who you are and leaning really hard into your strengths, Yeah. right? right. That's where we excel at is our strengths. When it comes to our weaknesses, we're horrible, right? (laughs) And like, we are absolutely like disturbingly horrible at those things. And when you force us to do that, you're going to activate an emotional dysregulation moment for us. And we're going to lash out at you.
1: And then compound that trauma yeah, moving right. forward. It's right. not just a, a, you know, like a moment or an event or an occasion in time. It's now a string of things that you're like, well, see.
2: Yeah. I love this example. And I'm, you know, when we look at a, a, a person who has a, a certain food sensitivity, this is really prevalent in, in autism and ADHD. Like you, you sit here and you say, Hey, you're going to eat this food. You're going to eat this food. You're going to eat this food ignoring the fact that we may have some sort of taste or sensory issue with that food. For me, it's tomatoes, right? Tomatoes are the bane of my existence, unless they're in ketchup or spaghetti sauce. Like everything about tomatoes, I absolutely hate. Now, when I was 10 years old, my aunt decided she was going to make a tomato stew. That's not a th- That sounds gross. <laughs> and all, it literally all it is is tomatoes, it's tomato like bit, it's sauce. It's like
1: warm salsa.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's even worse than that. It's literally just like chunk tomatoes, barely cooked with like ground meat in it. And that's it. That's all it literally... Oh, and okra. And okra is individual. Oh! And so my aunt... Sat there and uh, trigger warning for the people out there with trauma in their histories. I am sorry that I'm about to get super fucking graphic here. She said, oh, you're going to eat cause I cooked. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, I don't like tomatoes. I, 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 don't, I have issues with them. Here's the thing. If you make me eat a tomato, I vomit.
1: I'll, I'll puke it.
2: That's my reaction. Done. And so she goes, no, you're going to eat it. And I'm like, I, no, I'm not <laughs> like I'm fairly adamant about this. I'm not. And so she goes, okay, go outside and give me a switch. And so I go outside and I get a switch. That's, that's the rule. Y'all know the South and the country. Like, yeah, go out yeah, and get your yeah, switch. You
1: have to get your own.
2: And so I come back in and I have an okay size switch. She goes, no, I need one that's longer. So I go and I get the switch and I come back in and she goes, okay, and, you know, you have, you have five minutes to eat that stew. And I'm like, I'm not eating it. And she's, like, pow. Oh, and boy. Like, so now pain, pain is hitting yeah. me. And I, and I finally give in. There's only so much I, of this I can take. So I eat it. And then I throw up into the bowl. She goes, you're uh, going to eat that. Oh
1: my God. Uh...
2: And so she forced me by doing that to eat it. I can't eat tomatoes ever for the rest of my life. I, I have an even worse reaction to even having a tomato cut around it. If the tomato juice is on my burger, I will have that reaction. These are how those things Develop for a lot of people with ADHD is because in autism, because we have these different issues, and then you compound the trauma on top of that. You don't pay attention to what we tell you when we sit here and say, "These clothes hurt me." That light, like when I'm in this room, the I have I get migraines. I get really, really bad migraines, and we don't pay attention to what our kids are trying to tell us.
0: Yeah, because we don't have we don't have that experience, so we're like, "That's not a thing." Especially with kids, you just go, you're making that up to avoid X or Y, or Z. Especially with food. Shale she tell the story of... <laughs> my, my son is, he doesn't say this anymore, but he still has his, his, this food sensitivity where when he was probably like, he started doing it here, like six, five or six, he'd go, um, I'm allergic to, to chicken. And I was like, oh my God, Lex, you can't say that. You can't say you're allergic to chicken because people are actually allergic to chicken. People will panic if you eat chicken. Really what it is, is he has a food sensitivity to plain meat. Mm -hmm. So plain chicken, plain pork, plain beef, ground beef, fine. Breaded chicken, fine. Breaded pork, no problem, right? But something about the plain and the meat and the chew, I don't know what it is. He's like, cannot eat it.
2: I know exactly what you mean. I have the same issue.
0: And I'm like, but you just cannot say you're allergic. You're yeah. not allergic. That means a thing. But what you can say is I cannot eat this. For women, I think for moms, there's a lot of pressure to be like, am I letting my kid get away with something? Right? There's always this line that moms walk about being like, am I being too? Am I letting him get away with something? Am I being a bad mom? Because I'm not trying to push his boundaries. And for me, I just went, you know what? My kid's going to tell me when he's ready. I don't need to push that. He's not going to die. If he eats breaded chicken the rest of his life. Okay. What's a big fucking deal about that? No one has to eat plain chicken or tomatoes. Right. Or tomatoes. But there's no reason why you have to suffer for a concept. Well, you should eat what I made you. Our mom did that to us too. And- Mm -hmm. there are lots of reasons why moms do that or parents do that and it's very
1: generational The clean plate club is yeah
2: also we want to make sure that socioeconomic things are like because if you only have a hundred dollars for a grocery for a month you only have certain foods you can get so i you know for the people who deal with that like
0: right no all of those things are absolutely true but i think there's also mindset well this is what i made so you're going to eat it Mm -hmm. and each of us we have two other siblings have one food that our parent made our parents or mom especially made us eat that we hate and that there was no no you know opt out for that one thing interestingly mine
1: had okra involved so <laughs> that's like and now people are like pickled okra fried okra and i was like okra like i can't but to your point i think the compounded trauma is something that i never considered when it comes to neurodiversity Mm -hmm. i really didn't put all of that together and i find it really fascinating and illuminating
2: that's why relationships are so hard for us all relationships not just right romantic relationships any type of relationship where we're where we're with a neurotypical person they have the ability to do these things right to do it to just do the thing that they even if they don't want to do it, they have the ability to just get the fuck over themselves and do it like that's their, that's their superpower. They can just do that shit.
0: Well, a really great, I mean, the great example is my, my amazing sister trained for, are you talking about me? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you have two,
1: you have two sisters. I wasn't sure.
2: <laughs> she, she just wanted to make sure she was the amazing sister. I mean, well,
0: <laughs> if you let me finish, trained for, oh. for two marathon, two triathlons. And I'm the kind of person, I'm like, I really like the idea of doing that and have zero discipline to actually do the training because it's no fun. It's not mm-hmm. fun. And it's not interesting enough for me to keep doing it. So I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that, right? Like, I, don't, I don't have the, just get over yourself and do it, Gene. That's not my deal.
2: So when we talk about the, the, that just do it thing, okay, guess what controls the just do it thing? Dopamine. And ADHD is a deficiency of the dopamine transmission system in the brain. We don't have enough of it, right? Or you know, y'all know, you remember when I said that earlier. And so dopamine controls motivation. It controls your willingness to move, just moving. And it, it, and it controls your ability to have executive function where you are able to have the understanding of how to do the thing, of when to do the thing, of where to do the thing, of what to do when you're doing the thing. And when you don't have dopamine, then in your, your brain isn't communicating the way that a neurotypical brain does. However, if you sit here and drop your ass off in the middle of the woods somewhere, you're gonna be like, hey, I'm fairly certain I can get the fuck out of here, right? And if I have to run three miles to do it, I'm pretty sure I can do it. And oh, yeah. we're, we're just like, boop, and we're off into the wild blue yonder. It's
0: very different. <laughs>
2: Um so I love to get to use the this what is the A word that where it's like you break down the the sentences into a
1: Oh, I know. Okay, hold on. I'm going to look it up. Hold on. God,
2: this is the brain working. I I can literally spell it in my mind and cannot say the fucking word.
0: Uh What is it? Oh, what is it called? I'm thinking about diagramming sentences,
2: but that's it. No, not what no. Mean. Starts with the A, guys. Come on. Yeah you gotta oh, be better than this. Y'all, y'all are horrible hosts. Do this. <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> Anyways, I'll find it. No, I, I cannot sit here and not figure out what the word, what it is. It's when you take, it's when you take like multiple words and then you take the first letter of each one of them to make another. A oh, uh,
0: uh, 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 caustic. No, no. no. And, an, uh, an, the anagram.
2: No is something along those lines we're going to we're all going to sit here and see this and go oh fuck
1: Acrostic, an acrostic poem no where... no
2: damn it uh it's it starts... the
1: first letter of each line spells out a word
2: no but it's not but it's not the the first uh letter of each uh line it's the first letter of each word
0: spells out what so it's it's when you're like the tarp but t stands for something and the a oh, stands an acronym. For...
2: thank acronym. you okay so all right <laughs> From the top. So there's this acronym that I love to use. We're leaving
0: all of that in,
1: by the way.
2: God damn it. (laughs) Anyways, so now that y'all get some entertainment out of ourselves, thank you very much. Um, So there's an acronym out there that I love to use, and I don't know if anybody else uses it, but it's called NICE. New, Interesting, Challenging Emergency, right? When you get a person with ADHD, all those things, they're happy, right? New, interesting, challenging, emergency. If you get them three out of four, they're still pretty happy. Two out of four, meh. You know, one, eh, maybe. You know, it depends on how long we have that. Like, if it's a new, well, how long does it take it not to be new? If it's interesting, how long till we get bored with it? If it's not really a challenge, it's challenging us, but then we get used to being able to do it. Meh. But when you have all of them in the same place, we're good. We're great. So when you put us into a job where we have to do con- things consistently that are new for us, that are interesting and that are a challenge and then we have due dates that we have to turn things in we do really good yeah like so if you sit here and took us and dropped us in the middle of the woods well now we are in a new situation it's very interesting we're really goddamn challenge and then we have an emergency we need to get the fuck up out of here right. we right. are going to be pretty good right we're going get, to uh, get to where we need to go eventually or die you
0: know whatever that's the end of that problem. And right. that's, that's been, right, now it's not being challenging.
2: Right, now the challenge right. is over. We've, we fell down the culvert and like- You
1: failed the challenge, but that's besides the
2: point. <laughs> but like, that's, that's how the brain, that's how our brain functions.
0: So my job as a consultant is I'm an interim executive director for nonprofits that are oh under God. transition. So it's always new. It's always interesting. I love these management challenges. It's challenging because there's always something going on. And there's always an emergency. There's always something under the surface where you're like, oh my God, oh my God, you need to deal with this right now. And you're an interim. So it's always going to be this short-lived. One year is the max, right? I'm like nine months to a year, in, out, done. And then I need a a little time off. Within two months, I'm like, okay, it's time to do something. It's time to, like, you're blowing my mind because I never, I just figured I was restless. I'm a restless person.
2: Well, I'm about to blow your mind even more because now I'm going to talk about my coaching business.
0: Yes. Bring it on.
1: Do you need an interim executive director, by the way? (laughs) No. Okay.
2: Because for years, I was like always super frustrated because everybody that I know always sat here and got to their job and they worked for whatever, 25 years and died. That's what everybody tells you you're supposed to do back in the 80s and 90s. However, that didn't work for me because I would get into a job and I would work the job and I would be really great at the job. And then I would get bored with the job. And then I would sit here and just like, what the fuck ever? What am I supposed to do? Or somebody would be a triggering person, abusive or smelled like Natty light, uh, beer or smoked or something like that. And that's really annoying for me. And those are triggers for me. And I just, I would, I would self-sabotage. And then I started figuring out I'm really good at taking this chaotic environment and creating order from it. That was like my superpower. I would walk into a place and I would sit here and see all these things that needed to get fixed. And I would sit here and just start fixing everything. And I said, well, what does this mean? And then I got into this job where I was able to get into project management. I fell in love with this. There was this structure and this order and there was this process and there was these different routines. And I was just like, I have found my happy place. You know, I got to a certain point where I'd gotten out of the the divorce with my ex-wife and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. But I have this project management skill set. I have this like servant-based leadership skill set. And I said, well, how do I lean into that? And so then I found out about contracting and freelancing project management. I got into where I would go three to six to nine months jobs, Since I was so fast at recognizing everything about the business, I could go into a job, see everything that I needed to see within a week or two, see all the different inconsistency and chaotic issues they were having, and then start to develop a process for each person who was involved or say, Hey, you need this kind of person involved with this system so that it can be moved and made better. And all right, you need these, this amount of money. Here's the data that proves I'm right about this shit. And and take all of this different chaotic shit and make order from it, and then I you know and then like I tell the the contractor or the freelance person that I'm working with hey I need something in one month I, I'm gonna take a month off and so there's always this new stuff for myself to do deal with and there's always interesting things for me to look at. Then I got super sick, and I had a mental breakdown in 2016, and I ignored it. And in 2018, my body said fuck you, you're done. I. I lost it all. And then at the end of 2018, my wife says, hey, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, oh, "Oh shit. And she goes, it's okay. You get to be a stay at home dad. This is something you're going to be great at. You're going to be an amazing father. My wife's always been super supportive. But I have all this knowledge. And I have all these skills and all this stuff. What am I going to do? And so then I started talking to a friend of mine who's a life coach, and she was like, why don't you become a life coach? And that's where my business, Creating Order From Chaos came from, because that's what I've always done, right? I found my niche. I take this chaotic nature of people's lives with ADHD, and I help them develop their tools that they need to be able to function, right? And, and help them with like accountability and different um, ways that they can do things and how they can Make sure that they're measuring time at a way where they're able to, you know, function within our society. That the way they they can, right? Everybody has these different tweaks that they need in their life to allow them to be able to function, but they don't know what it is. And I help them find those things out about themselves.
1: That's amazing. Like you help them find the nice.
2: And then I teach them how to do it on their own, right? I give them the practical lessons to understand how how important it is to take small steps. Again, with ADHD, we want immediate immediate gratification for whatever the fuck we were trying to do. I teach them, hey, look, look at the little part that you can start. And then uh, the next day or the next week, look at the next little part that you can start. And then when you get finished with it, you'll have the things that you need in place. And then, hey, you're not going to be perfect at everything. If that's not your strength, shove it away. You don't need it. You don't need to do it. You need to focus on your strengths, right? And if you come to a place where... You need that thing that you're very weak at. Is there a way you can delegate it to somebody? Is there a way that you can hire somebody to do it for you? Is there a way to talk to your company about them doing it? Can you ask your wife or your husband to do that thing? Perfect example. I will wash a hundred thousand loads of laundry. I will sort a hundred thousand loads of laundry. I absolutely refuse to fold it and put it up. (laughs) Right. Gotcha. I hate
1: well, I hate putting up laundry. Yes. I hear
2: you. And so that's my wife and I's deal. That's telling that's how we have to live our lives. That is
0: actually one of the best parts of having a mutually supportive partnership, which is everyone has something that they aren't good at or they hate. I mean, I hate vacuuming. I don't know why I hate vacuuming, but I hate it so much. But, but I like meal planning and I like shopping. I like cooking my husband's like, oh, my God, please don't ever make me think about those things.
2: One of the frustrating things about my job, I, it's, it's frustrating, but at the same time, it's necessary. I also teach people to recognize when they're in abusive situations, whether it's mm-hmm. their spouse, their mother and father, their job.
0: Yeah, their friends.
2: We don't recognize those things. And we can't live in an environment, and this is the biggest thing I teach people about ADHD. We can't live in an environment where we've got a lot of stress coming at us and a lot of people who are constantly being negative towards us and things of that nature. You know, you have to learn how to communicate about your ADHD and that's what I help people do. This is how ADHD affects me. I need you to support me in these things where I'm, we, Right? I need you to understand that I'm not always going to be willing to go out with you, but I still want to, like, I want to Netflix and chill in the platonic way. I want to be a homebody and things like that. I want my friends to come to my house where I control the environment and I can tell them to get the fuck out. You have to recognize the ways that ADHD affects you and then how you can control it and then communicate that to the people around you. If your boss and your job will not give you the, the accommodations that you need for your ADHD that are reasonable, ADHD is a protected disability underneath the American Disabilities Act. It's also the protected disability underneath the Canadian Civil Rights Act and the uh, UK Civil Rights Acts. I didn't know that. People need to understand that when you, have a, uh, uh, when you have ADHD, you are allowed to go to your HR at any time to sit here and say, here's my diagnosis. Here's my um, reasonable accommodations. This is how I can thrive. These are the things I struggle with and work out how that works in your thing. And you, they take it to the boss and they say, okay, these are the accommodations that we're you know, using to meet them. And if your boss refuses to, to work with you on that, you need to recognize that that's an abusive situation. So I help people understand that. Sometimes those com- conversations with your spouse where your spouse is completely dismissive of ADHD and doesn't believe it's a real thing or you know, believes that you're doing this intentionally to be abusive and things of that nature, for things that are outside of your control, you need to have those conversations and those conversations may lead to relationship therapy, relationship coaching, or divorce. Those are real things that you have to look at. You also have to understand that you are still responsible for your actions. Even if you have an RSD episode where you lash out, even if you have a a situation where you, you completely frazz the fuck out and do something extreme, You're still responsible for the way that you did those things. You have to learn from them and then move forward and try to be a better person. If you are an abusive spouse, because you you dealt with emotional dysregulation and, and imposter syndrome and the control factor, you need to admit and understand who you were abusive. And then how can I be a better person? That's a big part of what I do is I help you understand who you are. I give you the tools that you need to do the things that you want to do and how you need to do them. And I teach you how to figure these things out for yourself. Wow. And that's the biggest part is moving forward is I, you have to learn how to practically apply the things that I'm giving you to your life and to your kid's life. If you have kids who have ADHD, because there's a genetic component to it, just like there is for autism. And once you understand that, you can start putting things in place like positive parenting techniques. And, Positive parenting techniques work whether your child is neurodivergent or not, and they work for yourself. The same patience as you're trying to show your child, you have to show for yourself. The same listening and communication styles that you're trying to teach your child, you have to use for yourself. And that's why I'm such a big proponent of positive parenting as well. That's what I do.
0: Well, that is, that's so awesome. That's amazing. I love how you sort of wound us through your story and also understand it takes a lot of discipline to do something like this successfully given my experience like given what a light bulb has come on over my head i was like the boring discipline the stuff that's boring that requires discipline is the stuff that's the hardest to do for me it's like billing i don't want to manage my time and bill just pay me Um, because that's the least fun part about it
2: i'm the same way i have inattentive adhd and there's a lot of things that you've got that you've said and i'm sitting there going yep i do i definitely understand what you mean
0: i if i'm listening to you i'm like i probably have in inattentive adhd but it was either so it was sub quote unquote subclinical that it didn't get diagnosed or maybe because i was a girl it was a combination of being a girl or you're masking right like you learned how to mask really early i,
2: I will say i don't know how your parents raised you but culturally speaking a lot of people who are from the middle east or africa or those kind of cultures hispanics um that it a woman is not supposed to be a certain way it's not allowed Sheila,
0: she has been told that she's too much her whole life i'm too much i'm too loud i'm too pushy I'm too impatient. Like all of this stuff you're talking about. I'm like, oh my God, that's so me. I mean, I, am literally like explosions are going off over my head. Cause you're, t- you are describing me almost to a T almost to a T.
2: So this has been a free ADHD coaching session. I, for you. <laughs> So I will tell you no. Um, but I will give you some free advice if you're okay for it.
0: No, and actually that's a perfect segue. Cause our, Our second to last question is always, what advice would you offer somebody, either someone like me who's like, oh, I think I might be, I might have ADHD or, you know, have some aspects of ADHD or someone who's like, oh no, I, I have this and now I need to know how to move forward.
2: And so it's the same thing I'm going to tell everybody that I coach. You need to talk to a psychiatrist who understands adult ADHD. Right. You can't go to a general practitioner. I mean, you can if that's the only thing that you have, but general practitioners in our culture or in our healthcare system do not have the experience with adult ADHD unless they are um, psychiatrists, psychologists, um, uh, pediatrics or neurobiology or something along those lines. So the first thing that you want to do is you want to find a psychiatrist in your area or online. Who you can talk to and say, I think that I have ADHD, and these are all the different things about ADHD that apply to my life. Don't go in there and say, I'm, I'm sad all the time, I lay in bed all the time, I don't have any motivation, because they're going to diagnose you based on what you tell them. Sure. So if you give them a whole bunch of depression symptoms, they're going to go, okay, obviously you have depression.
1: It walks
0: like a duck and
2: quacks like a duck. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, so you need to go in and say, I need to get tested for adult ADHD. Here's all the symptoms of adult ADHD that I, I, that I, I feel like I present with. They have tests that you can take that are very similar to the tests that are given out by psychiatrists and you can take that and you can print out the results and then you can take that with you and see, this is what I'm talking about. You have to advocate to, uh, to the doctor about yourself because they don't, A lot of times they don't get adult ADHD. A lot of doctors think you grow out of it. A lot of doctors think that if you're not a white dude, you don't have it, right? That's what the statistics tell them. And the statistics are wrong. And then from there, it is a matter of you have to test out medications. And that's going to have to adjust all throughout your life. The same way you have to get your glasses, your your lenses changed every now and then because your eyesight changes. The same thing happens with medication. Every now and then it has to get tweaked. The next step is finding a therapist who understands ADHD and whether or not it's CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapist, or the other one is called ACT. And I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's ACT therapy.
1: But you do know it's acronym. I ac- do
2: know it's an acronym. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Because we did
0: cover <laughs> right, that. Right.
2: We did cover that. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Acceptance and commitment therapy.
2: You need that kind of therapy because we deal with a lot of comorbidities such as depression such as autism such as uh ptsd and anxieties and things of that nature you know as you understand with autism that's not really something that you can treat with medication outside of like emotional uh, dysregulation side of things be dealing with a therapist because you need to process and learn how to process your emotions identify the emotions that you deal with you also have to find that creativity spark that you have in you There's almost always some presentation of some sort of creativity, whether it's writing, um, art, singing, anything along those lines. Maybe it is the work that you do. Mine is project management. And then you have to kind of really restructure your life. A lot of us actually do a lot of the things, especially as adults, that we've learned over time worked. You have to put in place the importance for organization. Everything needs to be in a certain place so that your memory, you don't have to rely on it so much, you know that you got home, you put your keys in a certain spot.
0: <laughs> right. You're making me laugh. Cause I'm really bad at remembering where I put my keys. Have you ever put <laughs> something, have you ever put your keys in a
1: place where you're like, this is such a good place. I'll totally remember it. <laughs> and then you do not remember it.
2: I put my keys on top of my lunch. Fr- oh, see, no, I yeah. forgot. I put them in there and couldn't find my lunchbox. My keys just end up in
0: like, they were in my pocket or they ended up like, I put them over here and then to move them. I think it's also Kosha does know I, uh, oh my God, it's raining like heck outside. <laughs> Squirrels uh, couldn't, right? Whoa, squirrel. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find my keys for like a whole day. And I literally looked in the freezer. I looked in the fridge. I looked in the cat food bowl. I looked in the dryer. <laughs> I I looked everywhere because I'm like, I don't know where these are.
2: And so like, and that's what I mean though, you have to figure out those tips and tricks that you need in your life to organize things. You also have to remove stress. You have to figure out how to remove stress from your life because until you learn how to process stress and frustration in a healthy way, you bottle it up. And so you have to learn how to let it out. That's where the creativity factor comes into play. You also have to learn what exercise can you do that allows you to burn out the energy that you need to burn out so that you can sleep better.
0: Oh my gosh. Tosha knows that I'm like spinning and kickboxing. Yeah, but she won't lift a weight because she's like, that's boring. Oh my God. And yoga yoga is like hell. Yoga is hell. Oh my (laughs) God. So, so slow. So thinking, there's not enough stimulation. I love this. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and so like, and, and that's, that's it. That's, that's the keys. You have to figure those things out. You also have to figure out how to eat right. Sugar makes you get dopamine. It gets you the, yeah. the, the happy juice in your brain. And it's an addiction and you have a ten- and when you have ADHD, you have a, a 60% more likelihood of getting an addiction because anything that gives you the happy juice is desperately wanted by your brain. And so you have to learn how to eat in moderation. You have to learn how to tell the people around you about your ADHD, right? So therapy helps a a lot. This is where a coach comes in and says, okay, hey, we got to talk to your friends about ADHD and how it affects you. Because they may be joking with you, but you're not taking it as a joke. Your, Your sensitivity, that's a trigger for you. And you need to be able to tell them without making them feel like shit how that affects your ADHD. And please try not to do it. Or if they do do it, that you may need to walk away to calm down. Or how to react in a situation where you have an RSD episode, where you lash out because you got triggered by something. Like sometimes my wife is like, yeah, I need to just be held, right? Sometimes my wife is like, please don't touch me. And the people around you need to understand if you say that, that's what the fuck you meant, right? Like, like, no doesn't mean yes in this situation, okay? um it never means yes
0: yeah right no means no right no I was gonna say that's a really really fantastic starter advice right like here are all the things to be thinking about um and you've given me a lot to think about because even as we were talking I literally was like oh my god it's raining let's go back to talking about, what <laughs> talking about. yeah and I saw you laugh and I was like oh you told you totally get what just happened to me yeah where I got momentarily sidetracked. And then I was like, oh, my attention has to go here for a split second. And then it comes back listeners. You have just heard me have a mind shattering experience where I'm like, oh, I probably should have been diagnosed with ADHD a long time ago. Or evaluated
2: at least. Yeah. you, You like, here's the thing, ADHD symptoms, a lot of times can be ADHD symptoms. But there's so much overlap between things like ADHD and trauma disorders. There's a lot of overlap between ADHD and autism, right? that's why the the two get mixed up. That, and that's why you have to go to a psychiatrist and and get tested by them and evaluated by them so that you can rule the things out. There's also things like lead poisoning and thyroid disorders and other health issues that may mimic a lot of ADHD symptoms. If you think that you have it, I mean, listeners, if you have been listening to what I've been saying and you feel like you have it, there are online tests at attitudemag.com that you can take to figure this out and at least get a good place to start and then move forward from there.
1: This has been amazing. Amazing. Like, literally, we could talk to you four hours
2: technically speaking we have been <laughs>
1: <laughs> no actually four hours or four <laughs> more hours
2: yeah
1: <laughs> you're doing amazing amazing work and the self-possession that you have is is truly astounding so we're going to end with our question that we ask everybody do you have any acts that comes like either through your work or with your wife or with just anything like, is there, is there anything that comes to mind?
2: All right. Short story. I promise it's short. Um, my wife loves murder mystery uh, shows, right? Like the, the, the crime shows, Like the
1: CSI and the,
2: no, no, no. I mean the documentaries, the, the actual crime, like, like like
1: women who kill. Yes. Right. (laughs) Like all of those things,
2: my wife and I have a very weird love language. And the love language is, is, she likes to express sometimes that I can disappear. And since I'm an introvert and you may not exist and nobody will know. And so one day I'm sitting there and, and she's like, oh, honey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning the kitchen. And you know, she's like, oh, the, the kitchen looks so good. I'm glad I haven't had to kill you or anything. <laughs> In my mind, the narrator goes. And it was at this point that Shane realized she's done a plus minus on whether or not she should kill you. And you've passed the test. And I'm like, like, strangely enough, I feel like you love me. And she's like, (laughs) oh, I do. I love you. And then just like very casually walked off into the bedroom or into the living room to watch a murder mystery show. And so that's our big thing. That's our love language. She talks about how I can disappear. And I talk about how much I love her. And please don't make me disappear.
1: (laughs) I love that. And the people would be like, do we need to call like blink twice? And you're like, no, no, no. Is,
2: <laughs> are you in danger? Me. No, she no, no, she loves me. I'm this alive. Is love. That
1: means she loves me.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, look, if I disappear, y'all understand what happened. Like, cool. <laughs> it was like <laughs>
1: the pluses stopped outweighing the minuses at that point. I love it so much. And
0: I love you. You are larger than life. I feel like I feel like a maybe not a mirror. <laughs>
2: the white dude with the beard no maybe not the mirror but <laughs> <laughs> this
0: like this is my these are my people like you're one of my because our, our right. even like our mannerisms are kind of the same and like we talk really fast and it's a little bit like and oh, now we're gonna go this way but then we'll come back this way i i have loved talking to you it has been per- i mean kosha kosha's right it's been amazing and we could talk forever but for me it's been a, a huge growth conversation because it has really opened my eyes to Mm-hmm. what might be behind some of the things I do that drive other people crazy. You know, my, I was going to say, my husband always complains. He's like, you get 80% of a project done. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but then it's boring. Yeah, we've got two pieces of plywood out in the garage. So what? They're sitting there. The next new, urgent, important thing needs to happen. <laughs> the project is over. And now there's another project that needs my attention. The plywood can just sit there. It's helped me really understand what, like some of the feedback that people give me and also why I have to write things down in three places. Why I structure my days the way I do and why I really thrive at my job where I'm like, if I have to do something more than once, it's like, feels like the end of the world. So this is so amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you all so much for having me on. Appreciate it.